on today's episode of Mile Higher. We're going to be talking about hazing and hazing deaths in fraternities. And another fraternity is accused tonight of bringing shame to its campus. Investigators saying that Marquise Brown committed suicide at his home in New York. New development in the alleged hazing death of Penn State student Timothy Piazza. Surveillance video that authorities say was once destroyed, now recovered by the FBI. It's horrifying to hear the things that these guys put their brothers through. Some of these people are so desperate for that companionship that they're willing to do anything. Six months of things like having a gun pointed at someone's head, having to drink and fill two garbage pails of vomit. What were these fraternity brothers so scared of? It doesn't seem like they get in trouble anyway. For none of them to have done something sooner. If they did, they, they could have possibly saved his life. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 256. And today we are going to be diving into a topic that I find highly interesting and important to discuss. I'm very passionate about this issue. We're going to be talking about hazing and hazing deaths in fraternities. Highly disturbing It's would be the words I'd use. Shocking, disgusting, disturbing, and... I have covered in the past, there are so many instances of this happening. I have also covered um, Gordy Bailey out of CU, and his death was just horrific, um, that story in, in particular. There's so many out there that we had to narrow it down to one university. We're going to be focusing on Penn State fraternities and a few people who have died due to hazing. Um, now, this is a topic that has always been, like I said, interesting to me and I've been passionate about because I experienced Greek life firsthand. That's right. Janelle and I were in a sorority. That's right, baby. <laughs> a long time ago. And we were in a much more low-key version of Greek life because we went to a really small school. So we didn't experience the like extremes of it all, but we yeah. saw our fair share. Um, it's a very... How do I even word it? Uh, problematic mm -hmm. system. And um, very antiquated, too. Very antiquated, very sexist. Um, a lot of issues there. Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. not in Greek life, in case you're wondering. I was, I was staying as far away from it as I could. And I even tried very, very hard to convince Kendall not to join Greek life. Well, you know, I was 17 and I didn't know anyone at the school that I was going to. I didn't play any sports or really have any skills to offer a club. So, and you didn't I even live on campus rush. very long either. Yeah, so. no, I didn't. Yeah, I had to get a restra restraining order against my roommate and moved off campus. But that's besides the point. I wanted to meet some friends. So, that was my main reason for doing it. I actually was just planning on rushing originally to meet people within Rush. I just thought it'd be a fun thing to do. And then I got kind of roped into it. And Overall, my experience was pretty good. There were definitely some things. I have several complaints and several things they look back on now and I'm just pretty horrified by. Um, I've done, I did a video on it, right? Just about my experience and all the things, like hmm. the pros and cons. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Huh? It was, it was a long time ago I did that. Um, but yeah, there were several things that I noted within just my own sorority that were uh, concerning. And for the most part, 
I didn't experience, though, any hazing. I mean, really at all. Um, our sorority was so strict about hazing. And most sororities, at least the ones in Colorado, I don't know, maybe the bigger schools and more schools in the South, it's a little more rampant. But um, I would expect that the larger the the chapter is, the more chances there would be for that to go on you know what i mean probably in a larger scenario where there's probably less over because who's who's can you just explain like what's the governing body within a sorority or fraternity like there's a hierarchy to it Mm -hmm. and but is there actually like somebody looking over everybody to make sure everybody behaves like what stops somebody from hazing but they're not there very often so what would stop them is if they were reported Reported. and then it got brought up to a council we had something called panhellenic that oversaw all the sororities there's tons of different types of sororities there's social sororities Mm -hmm. um there's uh like academic sororities i guess you would call them and then there's different um councils like kendall had mentioned there's national panhellenic council and that's kind of like an umbrella of, you know, tons of different organizations within it. Um, and so, like, each, I guess, campus has multiple. There's sororities that are by Panhellenic Council. There's multicultural sororities. Mm-hmm. There's social sororities that are, like, you know, the typical thing that you think of when you when you think of Greek life. There's co-ed. There's co-ed. There's uh, academic sororities, which mm-hmm. I was a part of. Um, and the regular Greek life one too. Um, so they all kind of have like their uh, own like own, governing yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but guess it's so. not the thing about it though is I don't think people realize it's not necessarily, you know, there's not oversight by the school that these chapters are affiliated with. Is that right? Or it just no, depends there is. On, it depends yeah. on if you're affiliated or disaffiliated. A lot of these, you know, fraternities for the most part, function on campus, but they're not affiliated with the school. And they prefer it that way because they've been kicked off for some reason. But then that actually gives them more freedom to do whatever the fuck they want. And I believe that's more so with fraternities. Yes. Than sororities. I don't, I could be wrong. I know that in the school Kendall and I went to, there were no sororities that were not affiliated. Um, and I'm not sure if that's allowed because I know that uh, sorority panhellenic is different than fraternity, I th- mm-hmm. think. Now I'm kind of getting confused. Yeah. We weren't and, like, care, we didn't care enough about it to really <laughs> understand all of this. We were purely in it to make friends. Yeah. And again, neither of us experienced any form of hazing. No. And they were so strict about hazing yeah. that it got to the point where we, we weren't even allowed to call people that joined. We used to call them babies when I first joined. Yeah. I was called a baby. And then by the time I was a senior, we weren't even allowed to call new members mm-hmm. anything different. We were all the same. We weren't. There used to be a thing where, oh, oh, the seniors get to sit on the couches. By the time I was a senior, they're like, that rule's done. Mm -hmm. Sit on the floor. So there was no, there was no hazing in the sorority system where we went. It definitely could exist in other schools. But when it comes to fraternities, whole different story. It is wildly different. Um, And there are just, I mean, it's just flat out sexist too. The rules for fraternities are so different than sororities. Like the biggest one that I can think of is that fraternities are allowed to hold parties with alcohol Mm -hmm. in their fraternity houses. Mm -hmm. Women cannot even have alcohol on premise, let alone have a party. Mm -hmm. So there were, there's tons of examples like that 
of how the whole system is just incredibly sexist. What bothered me about me the most about my sorority, about sororities in general, is the exclusivity having to, you know, people, you know, there's recruitment, there's rush, a bunch mm-hmm. of people come through and you have to like judge them. And people give a ranking Because not on everybody them. can join. If you nope. rush, you're not guaranteed to join a Which I will say, no. and I'm not trying to like defend, I think there's a lot of problems with the recruitment process, but that is how it is with sports teams, with clubs, with pretty much anything that's organized in a school. Well, it wouldn't but, be like a s- exclusive club anymore if everybody joined. Right. Well, yeah. it would take away but from with the with a varsity prestige. soccer team, for example, you're judged on your skills, skills as yeah, a player and your academics. In Greek life, oftentimes you're judged on... I've, not everyone. We knew a lot of people that were there to get good people mm-hmm. in our houses, but there were about half of the members in our sorority that were focused mainly on looks and who's going to make us look like the hottest girls on campus. And that was uh, really disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. Who's got the Instagram followers? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's the thing now, too. They're probably looking at your social your media. TikTok. I mean, it was a different yeah. world. When we... I rushed in 2011. So in 1912, you know, when I rushed. <laughs> Um, and the boys are similar too, right? Like they, I'm sure their process is even more fucked up as far as what oh, they're judging yeah. the guys on. And also mm-hmm. like, what do you bring? What are you going to do mm-hmm. for us type and of thing? Just so people are aware. Um, I know I kind of talked about how there's different like sections. The national Panhellenic conference NPC is what Kendall and I were a part of that. It consists of 26 women's sororities throughout the U S and Canada. And ours was one of them. And I think that when you think of like a traditional sorority, that's kind of that the picture that comes to mind but mm-hmm. like i said there's tons of different types of, of sororities that don't fall under their umbrella and whatever so greek life is huge I yes mean, massive in the u.s and canada i don't know if there's like greek life in other countries i don't um, know i'm not actually sure actually i remember people commenting when i like did the, the UK, videos about there, it that yeah. there wasn't uk universities i don't think so i don't think so and then a lot of them have like the they've seen house bunny or um <laughs> neighbors and that's their yeah. idea which there's a lot of a lot of it's very inaccurate <laughs> but a lot of it's kind of spot on I, i'd say neighbors is closer really than, yeah house bunny is pretty like out there but um yeah that's so there's 26 sororities in the country as far under, under NPC. NPC, yeah. Um, so that's one thing that people don't always understand. So if there's a alpha fee, for example, everywhere that there's an alpha fee, they are all under the same, they're different chapters of the same sorority. Mm-hmm. So they technically fall under the same rules and standards. They have the same secrets and guidelines. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. And that's the big thing is the secrets. There's a lot of secrecy. And once you're a member, you're clued in on these secrets. And let me just secrets tell you, the that secrets will do nothing sucked. For you. They were so disappointing. <laughs> nothing juicy. Not a damn thing. That's a shame. I'd want mm-hmm. my money back. <laughs> I mean, not... I almost did too. I was like, the fuck I'd be is like, this? this is some Boy Scout. You know, I might as well be in Boy Scouts. Yeah, or it was like, here's this. They told us all the secrets one day. And I was like, that was it. So, <laughs> yeah. Overall, but... I met some really good friends. Some I've lost touch with pretty much everyone. I've like maybe, I mean, Janelle was always yeah, my friend. A few of our employees our are sorority sisters. Well, one Sydney was in our sorority, and I, you know, well, she Janelle was worth too. she was worth it all because she's well, Janelle's my cousin, so. Oh, okay. but that did bring us closer. I feel like it did, definitely because well, so we were just went through college together. But like most of my sisters, not anymore. So also the benefit is. If our daughter 
wanted to rush for yeah. the same sorority, she She'd would be have considered a legacy. A which legacy. she's not doing that. Hell no. My daughter's gonna scoff at that. You watch. <laughs> she's gonna be like, I'm on the rugby team, baby. <laughs> I'm I'm blasting dudes over on the rugby field. Well, yeah, it's a it's an interesting culture. Like I said, we went to super, super small girl or uh college. So most of the people in it were very chill and low key and it wasn't well, if it was no. uh, like, I remember uh, in August when member like Rush Talk was huge on TikTok. Oh, right. Recently. Yeah, now. recently. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. last year. Yep. Um, And they would talk about all the things they had to have and all the money that they have to spend, even just before joining and mm-hmm. how competitive it was and how intense it was. And the even, outfits then once you're in, so much. then how, like, if it was like that where I went to school, I would not have joined. Same. At all. Like, no. I could give two fucks about any of that that's why i think when a lot of people find out that kendall and i were in a sorority they're like what, what? yeah it, it was, was so very different. very different it was mm-hmm. small it was kind of a remote area and i mean i joined because in high school i'd never been a part of a club or organization or sports or anything and um you know i had some friends in high school but a lot of them mm-hmm. they ended up really not being great friends to me and i had always been longing for that close group of friends yeah. i don't have any sisters um, and I wanted a sense of belonging and I'm not the best at making friends on my own. If I had just gone to a school where I didn't know anyone, like I knew it would be hard for me. So that's why I joined. And like I said, I don't have any regrets personally. And that's um, really why they try to, how they try to pull you into, because mm-hmm. so many people are coming from high school and mm-hmm. you have broken friendships or you're yep. missing your friends or you're out of state that was or my, something. And- yeah. Yep. That was my thing too. Is I had like I'd had friendships in high school, but I'd really grown apart from them, and I didn't have many friends. Yeah, senior year. Mm-hmm. So going into college, I wanted to like have this whole group of friends, and they just preach you the world, and these are going to be your sisters for life, and they are going to always be there for you and stand by you no matter what. And and you'll have so many connections. <laughs> yes, man. that's what they feed They'll you. They'll open lot too, doors that you didn't even know existed once. And you in get some it. cases, some alumni. people do get set up with jobs and stuff. Yeah. And it I'm sure it depends happen, but... on where you're at and stuff. Yeah. But again, I was n- I was not into it. I almost broke up with her over this. I was no, you like, didn't. I was like, well, in my mind, I was I was if I was like, this could go south really quick. All right. Well, you were probably afraid that I would. I was know. like, she's gonna link up with some frat guy and leave me. You know, leave the. Geek you should have known me. I went to and... maybe two frat parties my entire time. Maybe well, yeah, three, you and turned I out to be hated like... them. <laughs> hated yeah, them. Yeah, you would come back. Come I back had and no interest. The frats to me really grossed me i think that's a lot of uh, reasons why people also join is because um you're like connected with the either fraternities or the sororities depending on what you're in and Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people will join sororities because of the fraternities and you get to like yeah frat boys and everything like Mm -hmm. like kendall said i mean that wasn't an interest to either of us and both of us went in in relationships that were still in this day yeah (laughs) pretty much so yeah, for us, it was uh, friends and it did, you know, I will say it helped me keep my grades up because they are yep. strict about your grades. Yep. So for the boys that was too? helpful. I think so. Yeah. I yeah. think to some degree they are. Yeah. To some degree. Yeah. I mean, everything's different for the boys though. And um, we were talking about it before we started here, but some of the, I mean, the frats are just out of fucking control. As we'll, as we'll tell you about today, especially over there at Penn State, man. My God, which is I the know. college we're going to be focusing on because mm-hmm. the the hazing incidents here often turn turn deadly, and it's yep. it's horrifying. 
to hear the things that these guys put their brothers through in order to earn that right. I, I guess that's the thing is that they're trying to make it like this grueling process so that yeah. you like kind of do your time in order mm-hmm. to become a true brother. Prove yourself. Yeah, it's like... Which I will wor- say... Yeah. You're also hazed outside of Greek life, which we've t- we'll talk about here in a bit. But like, sure. you're in hazed sports in, in too. sports, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, the whole idea of hazing in general when you're joining a some type of organization mm-hmm. in order to be like actually in it, and like you, you know, you worked for this is such a weird concept to me that you have to like go through being treated like a piece of shit in order to prove your worth into this yeah. organization mm-hmm. that you're paying for, whether that's sports club, sorority, you're you know. They are making money off of you. Yeah. It's very weird to me. I'd Hell say in money. sports, though, it's at the higher, higher levels like college and pro. Cause like I played sports my entire life. Never once was I hazed. Oh, John was ever. hazed. Oh, no. I, I never was but hazed. He went to an intense. That's true. I went to, dude, I, my high school. Yeah. I was getting my shit stolen out of my locker. Like, yeah, but it wasn't, they weren't fights as going intense on. about sports as John's high school was, but maybe, maybe there's not, maybe it's just at the, but it does happen at the, like um, high end, really all ages places. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's very much in a, in a sorority and fraternity. The real big difference is you are really trying to prove yourself as a worthy member of what you're joining. And so they put you through yeah, all we're these gonna things. Torture you. Yeah, to see they how really bad you do. Want this. They really do torture sick. you. Um, Absolutely sick. And I mean, if if any of that had it ex- had existed in my sorority, I would I would have quit day uh, totally. one. Like, yeah, I wasn't. Gonna- I was never made to do anything I was uncomfortable with. Um, but hearing what other people had gone through, and actually, a close family friend of ours went to Penn State and was in KDR, and what he he never went into detail with me because he didn't want to freak me out. But he just said, "Wait, really? Yeah, it was in um." God, he would have been there in the 80s. Oh, interesting. Maybe late 80s, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, another family friend of ours went to our school, too. And he he was in a fraternity. He was super hazed. Oh, I didn't know that. I'll tell you who in a sec. Yeah. Um, but these, I think for a lot of these guys, it they lose sight of, okay, I'm trying to make these people prove themselves to us. And it becomes like the prison experiment, mm-hmm. where it just becomes a complete power trip and well yeah because they went through it themselves so they want yeah, their turn my to, turn that's that's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel is like one, one day, day you'll I'll torture do, others i'll torture the freshmen coming in yeah. it's just like it's so toxic man it's it's terrifying and they're not upfront about this no it's not no. like they, they tell you what you're about <laughs> to get of course not technically they're not so allowed to join do any of it. you know there's a little it, you're gonna be uh yeah fucked up all the time and abused sound fun so they, they, it's just, honestly, it's evil. I, I think what the fraternities are doing is just downright evil. It is. And it blows my mind that fraternities aren't being shut down or all over the country because mm-hmm. the things that they make people do will shock you, will yeah. literally shock you. If, you've, if you're not it's familiar horrific. with this world, you're prepared to be shocked at, at what some of the things that they make you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Um, one of my really good friends growing up, he was my neighbor and he went to school in Georgia and he joined a fraternity. He would tell me things and I was like, what? Yeah. Like just brutal shit. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a ton of you guys who are listening to this oh, will yeah. have your personal stories. Tell us your stories. We want to hear them. If you want to. <laughs> yeah, if you want. Yeah, it's rad. It is. It's pretty, pretty intense here. So... Um, well, like we said, we're going to be focusing on Penn State and um, multiple incidents that happened there. Before we dive in, though, we just want to remind everybody that the new 
space-themed merch collection is live at milehighmerch.com. Mm-hmm. We're actually wearing some of it right now. All four of the pieces are being wrapped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's selling really crazy, though. So hopefully by the time this episode yes. goes out, it's We aren't available. restocking this. No. So if you want something, jump on it yeah, right now. because really limited quantities. Once they're gone, it's never they're coming back. They're gone forever. This, they are pre-shrunk as well, just mm-hmm. so you know. And they do run just maybe a tad big i'd say yeah across all the sizes so just keep that in mind when you're ordering but um yeah available right now milehermerch.com and if you buy all four of the pieces from one collection you get a 10 percent discount so if you buy all the mile higher pieces 10 percent. same with sash same with lights out mm-hmm. and which ones are you wearing you're wearing the i believe this is the cosmic explorer i am repping the old far out t Julia's wearing the We Are Not Alone tee. I love that one. And, and I am wearing the Infinite Campfire yes. long sleeve. So, yeah. Also, before we get into this episode, I do want to issue a large trigger warning to some of you that some of the things we're going to be talking today may be disturbing. We are going to be talking about abuse, sexual abuse, um, animal abuse, alcohol abuse, alcohol drug abuse, abuse, yep, physical abuse. Yes. So, please proceed with caution. So, each fall, Millions of Americans aged 18 to 24 leave home to go to college. Obviously, people go to school at many different ages, but that is the majority statistic. And about 750,000 of those students decide to join social fraternities and sororities. And they're excited to join a brotherhood or sisterhood and give back to the community. But of course, what these groups are most known for is partying. Fraternities in particular are known for wild parties and lots of drinking. As we mentioned, the sororities literally aren't allowed to do that. So mostly the fraternities are the ones hosting those parties. And they're also known for hazing, which are rituals for prospective members or pledges that they have to perform to become initiated into the fraternity. And this practice is very, very controversial Fraternity hazing, as we know it today, usually involves heavy amounts of binge drinking that pledges are more or less forced to do. I mean, more for sure. It also involves lots of forced exercise, extreme humiliation and degradation, and psychological and physical punishment. And as part of the pledging process, pledges are responsible for all of the bitch work that active members give them. So that means driving the actives around, keeping cigarettes, dip, vape, zins on hand for them at all times. Zins? Dip pouches, basically. Nicotine pouches. Those are are more of a, like, my age group thing. Really? It doesn't have, yeah. yeah, Uh, I'm too old for that shit. They're just nicotine pouches. Pouches? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. They also have to walk or drive girls home from parties, clean the house, do errands, uh, working the door, you know, just stuff like that. And the purpose of hazing is complex. Psychologically speaking, it's supposed to instill in pledges discipline, loyalty, and group conformity. Once pledging is over, it's supposed to give new initiates a sense of belonging and group attachment. But a recent study found that hazing did not have this effect on participants. It sort of makes membership more of a reward and more meaningful, like you have to earn it. It's the idea that something has more value if you have to struggle and persevere and work for it. So in theory, the more severe the hazing is, the higher the value and group cohesion are. 
But hazing can get so extreme that it involves torturous physical and mental abuse and even animal cruelty. And get this, 80% of fraternity members have reported being hazed. Many young adults have been traumatized, injured, or even died as a result of hazing. But you know what? Hazing is still the norm for much of the Greek community, especially fraternities. Most U.S. states have laws against hazing, but it's still very widespread, and it's really hard to stop hazing entirely because of how deeply ingrained it is in the culture and traditions of these organizations. Hazing in Greek organizations has been around, though, since the 1800s. Today, fraternity hazing usually takes place during the pledging process, and this is a process that lasts about six weeks or more, starting from bid acceptance to initiation as full members. Getting a bid from a frat is basically like an invitation to join. But hazing doesn't just happen in frats. It happens in sororities and other Greek organizations as well. But beyond Greek life, it happens in organized sports teams, especially collegiate, school bands, and other organizations. And it happens internationally, not just in the United States. Hazing often doesn't get reported because of the code of silence among members and the bystander effect. Members are not allowed to discuss hazing with non-members. If they do... Or worse yet, it's reported to the school or police, members are kicked out of the fraternity, they're shunned, shamed, and sometimes harassed, and sometimes the entire fraternity can be shut down or removed from campus. So going off what Josh said about the bystander effect, it's basically a phenomenon where someone, or aka the bystander, is less likely to intervene or report, you know, get involved in some type of emergency situation or report some type of misconduct. Um, and of course, the more people who are present in that given situation, the less likely someone is to intervene. And it's because of two things. One of them is kind of like diffusion of responsibility, where people are, you know, they think they're less likely to be personally responsible to take action when others are also nearby. Um, and then also there's social influence. So a bystander determines whether or not to take action based on the behavior of the people around them. So if you're in a situation where something bad is happening, but no one else around you is freaking out, then you're less likely to freak out and take action versus if you're in a situation and everyone's, you know, scrambling and, oh my God, what do we do? Someone call the police, then you're more likely right. to do it because humans want to fit in. They want, they mm -hmm. don't want to do something that's going to make them seem like they're overreacting or underreacting or, you know, mm -hmm. just reacting in a different way than everyone else around them is. And I think that's a huge reason as to why this is such a problem is because when there is some type of emergency, a lot of people are kind of staring at each other and pointing fingers like, what should we do? And ends up no one's doing anything. Yeah, there was one instance in college where a bunch of us rolled up to a fraternity party just as it was being, you know, people were fleeing the scene because they had to call police because there was a girl who was unconscious at the front. She was like lying in the grass outside of the house and Pretty much everyone had cleared the scene. I stayed behind with this girl because I had just turned 21. And I thought, you know, the police will respect me if I stay with this girl and try to help her. Turns out it was the complete opposite. They like threatened to take me to detox. And I was like trying to explain to them I was of age and everything. But I'll never forget having this girl like laying in my arms so unconscious. Her eyes were like rolling back in her head. She looked horrible. And I look back and the fraternity president was just standing on the balcony of their house by himself. I don't who knows where all the other fucking brothers were just watching me. Didn't come out to help me, didn't come out to check, was just standing with his hands crossed on the porch watching the whole thing. 
I, it's like because the second they get involved, they know that their chances of getting in trouble go up. So they'd rather yep. just like stand there and not do anything. Which we is, don't know what happened to her. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to mention, obviously, it is a rule that they aren't allowed to share what type of hazing they have been through. But all of us have heard of some pretty extreme hazing. So I wanted to give some examples that we have just heard of. Um, I know someone who had to ride in the back of a truck and every time, you know, they all had handles and every time they were at a red light, they'd have to drink until the light turned green. I've heard of people being dropped off in the woods and having to to drink a bunch and then somehow find their way back. Julia, you've heard some pretty crazy stuff too. I've, yeah, I've heard some pretty, pretty horrific things. I mean, like, you know, your run of the mill drinking, hazing, those kind of things, you know, mm-hmm. the spray painted puzzles and the strobe lights and the, you know, you have to finish a handle and complete mm-hmm. the puzzle with like metal blasting all night. And mm. um, then it just, there's just so many dark things I've heard. Um, getting locked in a coffin overnight after being dosed with a tab of acid. That's insane. And, you know, if you're, an animal lover, you know, you don't want to, this won't be fun to hear, but um, when I was a freshman, I was looking for a house. We were touring houses and we, we get to this one house and it was the strangest thing. There was a big cage with a squirrel inside. And, you know, me and all my friends, we were like taking videos because we're like, why the fuck is there a squirrel in this apartment? You know, we didn't, we didn't, understand and later when i came home i was talking to my stepbrother who went to a school in the south and he was telling me some of the really insane hazing stories and he told me one of them and he wasn't in a frat but this is just stuff that he heard and it sounded too crazy for me to believe but now knowing what i know like he told me that um one frat had one of their pledges raise a baby squirrel by hand. And then at the end of his pledge ship, he had to stomp it to death on a curb. Ugh. Jesus. For Jesus. what purpose? Disgusting. What does that even prove? Like, what does that teach you? Like that you're a sick individual? Them. Yeah. Like I don't it was just so disturbing. Like I, I thought about it, you know, for days after I heard that, because I'm just like, why? And it was mm. at one point that memory came back of that house with the squirrel in the basement. Mm-hmm. And I like lost it. I just burst into tears because I was like, oh my God, like I didn't. You didn't realize didn't what it know. was. Yeah. yeah. It's it's almost like they set out to be the most extreme mm-hmm. organization that they can possibly be. Like th- there's such this, you know, everybody's got to be macho and, you know, you've got to be super masculine and, which none of that really has to yeah, do with was, any of that. That's that's not doesn't even fall into that. But you know what I mean, like psycho. that, like that is the goal, right? They want to be the biggest, baddest guys on on campus. They want to be kind of because there's competition within the different fraternities as mm-hmm. well. And I just know groups of guys like but there's always this you. competitive yeah. competitiveness between them. So it's obviously like, well, our fraternities more extreme, more badass because we do this or whatever, and. Mm-hmm. You know, we only accept the most extreme pledges or whatever into their into their fraternity. I guess I don't. I don't know. I don't really understand the 
appeal behind any of that. I think it's also a lot of having to do with tradition because mm-hmm. this type of stuff has been going on in the fraternities for so long. So when you join, they're trying kinda, to keep it going. It's like, oh, well, we've been doing this kind of shit for years, dude. So yeah. it's just, it's part of the tradition. We're not going to stop now. My grandpa had to do it. My dad had to do it. My uncle had to do it. And I had to do it. Now you have to do it. And it's this whole idea of if you can get through it, then, you know, you're one of us and you're in this club and it's, you know, very exclusive. How you and, prove And you proved yourself. And, you know, that's how it's been gone. It's been going like that for years. So it's just how it is. And I think also if you're, I could see it being that if you join and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm not doing that. Or you stand, you take a stance against hazing. You're either not only kicked out, but also probably like heavily scrutinized and, oh, and abused. Sure. And then you're also not even in it anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you become once, a pariah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's almost in the sense of like, when you join a gang and then you try and leave, mm-hmm. oftentimes it becomes very dangerous for you. And I'm not saying this is to the extent of a gang, obviously, but in the same there's some kind of realm of like, yeah. if you join this and then you try and leave, there will be hell to pay. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. And a lot of them in their hazing process and even after you're a, an official member, there's a lot of pressure to sexually assault women. Um, that's something that's also rampant in these fraternities. The just encouragement, the degradation of women and how many notches can you get on your belt type of thing. I mean, it's just such a toxic culture it's it's truly terrifying and um i know i'm going off track a little bit here but with gordy bailey the way that his brothers treated him after he he had already died in the house you can look up that story or look up my video on it they literally took sharpies and drew all over this poor kid after he was already dead yeah it's horrific it is it is so so bad i truly don't know how it, i think what in what was really curious to me is like why why go through this why join this if this if they don't care about you anyway like it seems like the whole thing is a lie that there's no there's no brotherhood there it's it's just totally a fake facade for some some criminal organization basically like it doesn't seem like there's any chivalry you know it's not like these are the best men on campus or anything like that. It just seems like... Well, it's like a boys club. I don't, oh, I don't know yeah. what kind of boys club that is, man, because I, I just don't... I don't understand what what it is about it that appeals to people. Like, there's so many other ways to make friends and, you know, like, why? Well, and the thing I think we all have to remember here is when you come into school, most of the time when you're joining some of these things, you're still a kid, man. Mm-hmm. You're looking for acceptance. You don't have a lot of understanding. And that's what's really crazy at the end of the day is most of these fraternities and sororities are a bunch of kids in a house trying to govern each other. And yes, you have like people that are supposed to oversee you. They don't fucking come around. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you have like a house parent but they're not always there but yeah they're not there to discipline um it's it's really a bunch of kids who have no fucking real experience and no concept of life outside of where they grew up and then now this fraternity yeah and their their vision is so locked in on that and it's like in high school you know things seem so extreme to you every breakup every mm-hmm. time you lose a friend that you know when you're in these situations you it's hard to 
to look past and see the future, right? And to realize that you're only in this for four years. Like it seems like you're everything at that point that some of these people are so desperate for that companionship, that acceptance that they're willing to do anything. And and it it really does pry on children in that way. Prey on children, in my opinion. I mean, I was so young joining, like I didn't really think about a lot of the stuff that I was, you know, there were there were things that went I mean, I, I wasn't ever hazed. I never hazed anyone, but there were things that went against my values as a person that nowadays I wouldn't have wanted to participate in. But I was so young and just wanted to be accepted. I understand that to some extent, but I mean, you are an adult still at the time of joining. Of course, these things. I'm so not I'm like, not saying you're still I'm saying why would someone want to join to go through all of this because they're so young and acceptance is so important to you the younger that you are that that's why I think a lot of people are willing to do all of these degrading things and I think also to add on to the whole tradition thing tons of people who go through had their parents go through and so mm-hmm. it's you know mm-hmm. you're hearing it from your dad like oh you're gonna grow up to be this or you hear it from your mom oh you're yep. gonna, you're gonna join the sorority and so yeah we have a friend who their yeah. their mom from a young age told her you are going to be in this yeah. sorority period and they had like a fake initiation for them as kids it's some weird shit man yeah. it really it's a whole very toxic world that goes back years and years and years and years mm-hmm. my parents were like the devil <laughs> is in <laughs> greek life well greek life is just they a may mask not be wrong about that for the devil and honestly it's pretty uh pretty close to hell if you ask me a lot of these situations are. So 98.7% of fraternity chapters in the United States operate as affiliated with their university. A few schools have unaffiliated IFCs or interfraternity councils, meaning the school basically has no control over them. These IFCs are run by students, meaning they have student-run judicial boards. Affiliated IFCs can use campus spaces and some school resources but the university actually benefits more from being affiliated. That's because, for one, Greek students tend to be more involved in campus, and they are also a huge draw for prospective students. But of course, probably the most important reason is money. Greek alumni are usually some of the most active alumni, and they're usually the biggest donors. Greek Life alumni gives four times as much as people who are not in Greek life. Um... And they account for an average of 75% of the total college and university donations. So schools are making hella bank off of Greek life. I think that's a huge reason why even though, you know, terrible events occur, they kind of sweep it under the rug because they're making money off these people. And not only do you make money off of them with active members, but then once you're an alumni, you're more likely to give back to your school or give back to your sorority or fraternity. And so, I mean, it's a great way for these schools to make money. To keep the carnage going. How that? Who is donating to their school after graduation? Dude, I'm sorry. I, I, I gave you so... How much money? Dude, I get hit up all the time from my sorority. No. Oh, really? Trash, to the trash. You but do? even the colleges. Always. Do. I get like an email every month. I worked at the Alumni Associa- Association oh, for yeah. my college. Not for the sorority, but for my college. And I would literally cold call people and ask for their donations. Oh my God. So awkward. Hey, we know you're in debt like $200,000, but can you give us some more money? Yeah, it was horrible. Some people were like, oh yeah. Some people would like cuss me out and I was like, fuck, this is awkward. They can't even give me discounts to the 
football games now. I'm like, right? what the hell? Where did what'd you do with all my money? Now you want more? Like, yeah. no, that's crazy. Yeah, and then and then you're like, where's all that money going? Mm -hmm. There's not even enough parking on campus. Seriously, yeah. like, I have so many yeah. parking tickets. Like oh, Jesus Christ! God. Like there's not even a big enough parking lot for all their students to park in it. And with all that money comes influence. This means that universities have a financial incentive to keep their Greek alum happy. And a lot of the times, keeping those alumni happy means keeping the actives happy. Pennsylvania State University, a.k.a. Penn State, gets 80% of their donations from Greek alumni. And Penn State has the largest dues-paying alumni association in the country. Which is something to keep in mind as we go through this episode, because we're going to be focusing on hazing incidents at this school. Penn State has multiple campuses, but the University Park campus in State College, Pennsylvania, is their largest. The school is about 46,000 undergraduates enrolled at the main campus. And they have thousands more graduate students and students at other campuses, making it one of the largest university systems in the country. And many of those students are members of Greek organizations. As of 2022, there are 71 fraternities and sororities on campus, and 14% of the student body are Greek-affiliated. But the fraternities at Penn State have had a lot of scandals and controversies throughout the years, and this includes alarming stories of injuries and deaths that have been associated with them. In 2009, Penn State freshman Joseph Dato fell down a flight of stairs while intoxicated and died after attending two frat parties. After the school's IFC decided to contract with a security firm named St. Moritz, which this was a move supposedly to prevent more dangerous incidents. St. Moritz was supposed to send out employees to frat parties to do random checks. These employees were supposed to make sure the frats were following all of the necessary safety protocols. But the whole thing was a sham. It was a CYA move that enabled the frats to continue to party in haze as they pleased. The employees doing the checks were not full-time security guards. They were Penn State kids working part-time for the firm. So you can imagine how much enforcing was really going on there. If it's the students, not much. Hazing is really a fact of life at Penn State. Despite what president and administrators and coaches have said, hazing is basically an accepted part of Greek life on campus. And so the partying continued, as did the hazing. And that included fraternities on other PSU campuses, which brings us to Marquise Bram. He was a freshman studying at the school's Altoona campus in 2013 and 2014. He was a happy kid who was very bright and involved with the school. And his parents were a little apprehensive when he said he wanted to join a fraternity because he was already so busy. So here's a little bit more about Marquise from his father, Rich. You are so working. Marquise's entire life was about service. And then his own nature to just lift others. Such a physically beautiful child, such a spiritually and emotionally decent person. He never changed until the frat. He was taking 18 credits. He was uh, um, studying to be an RA, and he was also the dorm leader. So it's like, you know, you have enough, young man. <laughs> it's like, you know, and then he came, yeah, but the frat is the only fun thing that I'll be doing. So he pledged Phi Sigma Kappa, and the process was nothing short of horrific. Here are some of the things that the initiates had to do and part of the initiation rites that he had to endure. 
being forced to consume gross amounts of alcohol, chug bottles of Listerine, swallow live fish, fight fellow pledges, be burned with candle wax, and deprived of sleep for 89 hours. In one instance, Marquise and other pledges had to do a locked-in ceremony. For hours, they were locked in a room with two kegs of beer and two trash cans. They were ordered to finish both kegs and fill up both trash cans with vomit. The disturbing incidents continue. In one, pledges were told to choose between two options. Snort a line of cocaine or be sodomized on video. Yes, you heard that right. The video would then be kept as blackmail in case a pledge thought about breaking the oath of secrecy. A pledge also had a gun held up to his head. Pledges were even ordered to kill, gut, and skin squirrels. Video on Marquise's phone showed a fight club where pledges were forced to fight other pledges. Let's hear from his dad again about the hazing. Were there any concerns about him going through that process? You know, we knew that, oh, gee, he'll do some sort of like stupid rituals, but nothing that we thought would could be life-threatening. Six months of things like having a gun pointed at someone's head, having to drink and fill two garbage pails of vomit, having to kill and then gut and skin squirrels, having to engage in, 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 in fights where you're knocking out your brothers, your brothers. His phone is speaking to us from the grave. The pledging process traumatized Marquise. At some points, he was so distraught, he reached out to his dorm's RA over text. And for those that don't know, resident advisors or RAs are older undergraduate students who live in the dorms and mentor freshmen. They're also technically um, university employees, by the way, which is mm-hmm. important to note. He said, I feel like I've done so much that it can't get any worse, but it always does, LOL. A young woman, one of Marquise's RAs, told him, yes, it will get worse. I'm sorry to say, ha, 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 but it will. And these are people who are supposed to help you and advocate for, advocate for you. Instead, encouraging him to mm-hmm. continue. Mm-hmm. Marquise told her later that day, we were allowed to fall asleep last night, but I was too scared. I think I have a concussion and I didn't want to fall into a coma. And the RA replied, stay strong, little buddy. You're almost done and you've been so strong. Marquise made it through the pledging process and was made a full member of the frat, but the experiences deeply haunted him. Marquise was later elected to the frat's exec board as a secretary, but as part of that position, the next semester, Marquise had to be present when the next crop of pledges were hazed. He wanted to stay and try to make things better, but he couldn't. The thought of that was too much for him to bear. Marquise went home to New York that spring break. He told a family member he was going to go see a Catholic priest to confess his fraternity sins. On March 14th, 2014, two days before he was due back on campus, Marquis sat down to lunch with his mother. And at lunch, he excused himself from the table and told her he'd be right back. Then Marquis climbed 11 stories to the top of a nearby hotel and jumped to his death. He was just 18 years old. Marquise's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Penn State, the fraternity, and multiple individuals. Penn State suspended Phi Sigma Kappa for six years. The school conducted an internal investigation, but a judge ordered that this report be kept confidential. And here's Rich's reaction to this. Did that to keep it from us seeing it. How evil is that? 
How evil must you be to do something like that, to let us suffer when you know what's going on? You know what the cause is. You knew when he was alive. That is evil, what they've done to us. When you went to go clean out his dorm room, you found things. We found a couple bottles, a couple alcoholic bottles, and the, they had numbers on them, and they had some names on them. You have the pictures, but what happened to the bottles? Penn State threw them out. A member of their legal team sent a letter back and said that those um, bottles were discarded. And I'm like, discarded? They had pledged names and numbers on them. Discarded? The case was brought before a grand jury, but they found, quote, no evidence of criminal wrongdoing related to Marquise's death. This was partly because the former pledges were unwilling to name the fraternity brothers who hazed them. And here's what Rich has to say about this. What was your reaction to that? That's why this keeps happening. That was my reaction to this. Because no one takes it seriously. It's against the law in the state of Pennsylvania to haze. In the report, the grand jury report, they acknowledged that Marquise had been hazed. The brothers admitted that they hazed him. But the attorney general's office said, but we're not going to do anything. We're not going to prosecute that. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, just you can just hear the, the pain in his voice and the anger as oh, well, which... Fucking pissed you would be as a parent. Like, oh my God. And the fact that nothing was done yep. other than suspending the fraternity, which what does that mm-hmm. do really? Mm-hmm. Not much doesn't certainly doesn't help them deal with their grief and then they don't even get to see the report the next incident we're going to be talking about took place in 2015 just a year after marquise's tragic death penn state fraternity kappa delta rho became the center of a huge scandal that year james vivenzio went to the police with some serious allegations against his former fraternity one of the allegations stemmed from when james was pledging the frat two years earlier james was hazed severely and reported this to penn state's office of student conduct This was supposed to be a confidential report, but James said that right away, the KDR president found out someone reported hazing, and he and the other brothers immediately set out to find out who the snitch was. The Office of Student Conduct sent their chief investigator out to interview James, but despite this, nothing was done to seriously investigate until James went to the police. During pledging, James said that he was burnt with cigarette butts and forced to drink hard liquor without stopping until he threw up. He was also subjected to, quote, Late night lineups that featured force feeding bucketfuls of liquor mixed with urine, vomit, cat food, hot sauce, and other liquid and semi solid ingredients. Here are some of the things the pledges were ordered to do, as told by James' lawyer. Forced to drink a concoction of heated cat food, urine, Ugh. hot sauce, hard liquor, uh, and other unknown ingredients uh, while doing. Um, uh, nose against the wall, lineups, wall sits, push-ups into their own vomit, um, uh, strobe lights in their face, uh, loud music blaring, pots banging on metal doors, uh, all taking place in the dark. Uh, as members of the pledge class uh, passed out, vomited, became violently ill, and uh, were generally made to feel Uh, terrorized and uh, frightened for their life. Because if James or any other pledge missed a lineup, the consequences were severe. James missed a lineup once, and when he came back to the frat, a six-foot-five member beat him without warning. 
Penn State claimed that they couldn't investigate James' claims because he didn't give them documentation. Like, what was he supposed to do? Yeah. Be capturing photo and video and risk being beaten even more? James's lawyer said this isn't true, and James is suing both Kappa Delta Rho and Penn State. He said that he has PTSD from his experiences and that he also had to go to rehab for alcohol abuse. During pledging, he failed his freshman year, even though he was a really good student in high school. But imagine trying to keep your grades up with everything that they're expecting of you, the torture, having to take all these drugs and alcohol and then go perform well in school. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But there was another huge bombshell that James informed the police about. He told them that his fraternity had a secret Facebook group for members to share nude photos of female Penn State students. Some of these students were heavily intoxicated, visibly unconscious, or being sexually assaulted. Here's more on this scandal. 144 past and present fraternity members had access to these images. One fraternity member boasted the page had more than 370,000 views. Others boasted about sexual exploits. The president of Penn State University, Eric Barron. I am very committed to due process. I'm very committed to making sure that we know exactly who is responsible and then taking action on those that are responsible. The men of Kappa Delta Rho had no interest in talking about the vulgar images on their Facebook page, photographs of naked women, some of them passed out. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, you're on our property. At first, after James reported the Facebook group to the police, the IFC said Kappa Delta Rho could stay on campus. This was on the condition that members underwent sexual assault intervention training. But Penn State suspended Kappa Delta Rho for three years, meaning they are now eligible to come back on campus. And no charges were brought against any of the members of the Facebook group. It wasn't the first time that this frat had gotten in trouble with the school. Back in 1997, five Penn State students went to student health services with injuries that the doctor strongly suspected were hazing injuries. The doctor wrote that these injuries had been caused by something that someone else was doing to them. Their fraternity, Kappa Delta Rho, was investigated, but it was exonerated, since none of the pledges were willing to report what was done to them. There already was a code of silence when it came to hazing, and pledges and members were not allowed to snitch about hazing activities themselves. But with the 1997 incident, there was now another sort of understanding. If pledges sought medical treatment for hazing injuries, this would invite investigations and attention. It would put eyes on them. And that couldn't happen. So it was understood that taking injured pledges to get medical help was a very big risk for them. This was something Penn State Beta Theta Pi pledge Cordell Davis learned after his bid acceptance night. So Cordell was a freshman and a newly initiated brother to Beta Theta Pi as of December 2016. So he had only been an initiated member for two months by February 2017. Pledging was very rough for Cordell. The week before initiation, pledges went through Hell Week, which is basically a week where hazing really starts to ramp up. In one event, pledges broke into teams and had to race to finish three or four different types of alcohol, like a case of beer, handle of vodka, maybe a box of wine. And in another event, pledges had to drink mush, which was a mix of old food and drinks left in the fridge all blended together. And in another event, pledges were all lined up, blindfolded, and hit with paddles, which paddles are a big part of fraternities and sororities. In fact, 
when I was in a sorority, we we never used them. They were hang, hung on the wall as decoration, but it was still like in our culture to make paddles for other members, which I assume back in the day, even in sororities, they were probably used yeah. just to spank they with. They were, you would like hit people with them. Yeah. They're like wooden paddles, essentially. I still have mine in our yeah, garage same. somewhere. Because they, at the time, it was like your, your, what they would call your big, which is like your old, older member in the house that was supposed to guide you. And luckily I had the most amazing big ever. She like really helped me with school and was a really good influence, a good person. But she like put in a ton of work into decorating this thing. And I made one for my little and they were like meaningful in our house. But the fact that they're still called paddles and they're these symbols of what they used to be used for. Mm -hmm. They're hung up all over fraternity and sorority houses. It's really bizarre. Do the boys decorate theirs or do they just like, they just no, have blood all over. They're like them. engraved kind of. I think of, they're more like the wood carvers. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like a basically if you find one in a frat, it's like a trophy if you steal it. But mm-hmm. they oh, are really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff that you steal from frat. Like oh, a known thing that if you steal something from a frat, it's like a trophy. Composite I'm not condoning pictures, stealing. I never yeah. did it. But oh, yeah, fuck. people will steal like composite pictures and shit. I'm kind of condoning it. That's kind of cool to <laughs> take their stupid paddles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Campfire, baby. Yeah. In September of 2016, Cordell was actually injured at his own beta bid acceptance night. That night, Cordell was very intoxicated and he fell. And that fall caused a cut on his forehead that started gushing blood. Blood was everywhere, all over his phone and his clothes. Fraternity members did not call 911 because that's the last thing any of them want to do. Instead, texts show that Cordell ended up being in one of the brothers' rooms and the brother texted the chapter president, Brendan Young, and said, quote, I need to go to bed. I think he's fine, but he has a bad cut and he's puking. Brendan Young replied, is it Cordell? And the member responded, yeah, and I could drive him back. But Brendan Young replied, not worth it. Let him sleep. So nobody from the frat took Cordell to get help until the next day. And the members didn't take him to the university health services, likely because the doctor would have suspected hazing. Instead, they took him to urgent care. The incident left a scar on Cordell's forehead that he still has today. Sadly, the next semester's bid acceptance night would also lead to a pledge, being injured and not getting medical care. But this incident was fatal. Cordell would be there that night chatting with the pledge named Tim Piazza. Neither of them knew that in a few short hours, something truly terrible would happen. But before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit more about Tim and the person that he was. Timothy John Piazza was born on September 25th, 1997 in Edison, New Jersey to his parents, Jim and Evelyn Piazza. He had an older brother named Mike and Tim had lived in Reddington Township, New Jersey his whole life. Tim was a happy-go-lucky kid who was very close with his older brother. He had flame red hair that he used to insist was brown as a kid, but as he got older, he grew to love it. He was funny and kind, always goofy and pulling practical jokes. At Hunter Dunn Central Regional High School, Tim was on the football team and ran varsity track. And when he started out high school, he was shy and always turning red when talking to girls. But he had a growth spurt and really started opening up. At six foot one, his friends described him as a gentle giant. He was very protective of more vulnerable kids his age. Tim was a very caring kid. In high school, he was a peer-to-peer counselor talking directly with fellow students about safe sex and drug education. And this is how he met his girlfriend, Caitlin. He also volunteered helping teach special needs children, football, basketball, and baseball. Tim's family had always been huge Penn State fans. 
His brother Mike decided to attend the college, and the next year, Tim did the same. At the time of these events, it was 2017, and Tim was a 19-year-old sophomore at the school. He was studying mechanical engineering, and his ultimate goal was to use that degree to help create high-tech prosthetic limbs for children and soldiers. And Tim really excelled his first year at school. He continued his work volunteering and helping others. Tim's passion was THON, the Penn State Dance Marathon. Tim was a member of the THON's operations committee. He was also on the executive board of IUDA, which is a special interest organization benefiting THON. Charity dance marathons are student-run events that raise money for youth programs, usually children's hospitals or childhood cancer treatment. THON is a big deal at Penn State. They raise money for childhood cancer, and it is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, actually. They've raised over $200,000 and have over 16,000 student volunteers. Tim was doing well socially, but his friends and family believed that he was interested in joining a group with a real sense of belonging. So he was attracted to the idea of joining a fraternity, of course, and he wanted to join for that sense of brotherhood and belonging. For him, it wasn't the partying. Tim had told his parents that he was interested in rushing. His dad was not big on the idea. He thought the whole thing would distract him from school, and Tim was a really studious kid. Tim's parents hadn't been involved in Greek life when they went to college, so in the fall of 2014, when Tim was a freshman, they attended an information session at the school to learn more. A university official informed the crowd of parents that there was no hazing at Penn State. There was a long, uncomfortable silence, and then one by one, parents raised their hands to tell the official that their sons were currently being hazed. Jim sort of tried to talk Tim out of rushing, but Tim decided he was going to go through with it, and after the rushing process, he got a bid. It was from his top fraternity choice, Beta Theta Pi. And Tim's choice to rush Beta actually was kind of reassuring to his parents. That's because Beta at Penn State was supposed to be a no-alcohol, no-hazing frat, so they were supposed to be a dry frat. What had happened was Beta had been kicked off campus in 2009 by Nationals for a series of alcohol violations, but they were eventually allowed to come back on campus the next year with the condition that they reopened as a dry house. Donald Abbey, a billionaire alumni and Beta brother, visited the house in 2004, and he was so disgusted by the living conditions that he gave the house a lavish $8.5 million renovation. It was one of the most expensive frat renovations in history. The renovations were completed in 2007, and the interior of the house had stained glass windows and a dining table made out of hand-carved Colombian mahogany. I'm sure the frat houses up in uh, where, where you guys went to college was just as nice, right? <laughs> no, there no. was no hand-carved mahogany. No, Rats I remember um, friends over at CU telling me what their sorority houses were like, and I was stunned. They were oh, so the nice. Houses, yeah. Ours wasn't like gross. It was just very old. But I'm talking about the frat houses. Oh, the frat houses were straight disgusting. Like should be condemned. Like I said, I've only been to a frat house a handful of times. And I was just like, were they ever clean? These people live there. No. No, not that I'd ever been. They're sick. There's like dust bunnies everywhere. Rotting Way worse than that. The floors were sticky. There's like stuff. There's like shit everywhere. Not like stains on all the furniture. (laughs) It's disgusting. It's like hazardous to be in there. I could never live in an environment like that. I'd be like cleaning the house all day because I'd be like, this is disgusting. Yeah, but yeah, definitely even the sorority house that we lived in, like we kept it pretty clean, but it was old. It was clean. It was just very old. It was like from the 1800s, wasn't it? And it's small. Yeah, it was a historical building Mm -hmm. actually. Haunted as well. Uh, Yes. Yes, actually very Actually very haunted. Yeah, we have some stories. But anyway, so this fraternity house was I mean, $8 million renovation is 
going to be pretty nice. Unbelievable. The kitchens were decorated with copper ceilings and the bathrooms were given heated floors. There were even fingerprint scanners installed at the entrances. But of course, the boys promptly trashed the house and they racked up more alcohol violations. Donald was not happy. So he decided to have 14 cameras installed in all public rooms of the fraternity. However, the drinking, of course, continued in full view of these cameras for years. The cameras were still installed and recording in 2017, and that's how authorities were able to see the gut-wrenching last hours of Tim Piazza's life. And that night was bid acceptance night at 220 North Burroughs Street. On the evening of February 2nd, 2017, the brand new beta pledges were called in for bid acceptance night. It would be Tim's first night spent in the fraternity house. The pledges are told to arrive at 9 p.m. sharp. That evening, Tim got dressed and ready for the night. He put on the required pledge uniform, khakis, a button-down shirt, and sports jacket. Then he called his girlfriend, but she didn't answer. He left her one final voicemail. And here's what it said. I really feel terrible that I didn't get to talk to you today. I don't know how long I'll be here. I'll be getting pretty fucked up by them. I'll call you when I'm on my way back. Otherwise, if I don't talk to you tonight, I love you. And then Tim left his dorm for the last time and headed to the frat house. That night, there were a series of initiation rituals that the new pledges were supposed to complete. One of these included the gauntlet. This is an obstacle course that pledges had to run through and drink lots of vodka, beer, and bagged wine. Much of the night was captured on CCTV, and we can piece the timeline together from court documents. The pledges all filed into Beta's Great Hall at 8.56 p.m., and all the lights are off except for one in the front of the room. The light illuminates the faces of Pledge Master Daniel Casey, Chapter President Brendan Young, and Vice President of Recruitment Ryan Burke. At 9.06 p.m., the pledges are led out of the room. Ten minutes later, the first pledge begins the gauntlet. Tim begins the gauntlet at 9.21 p.m., and the pledge master hands him a bottle of vodka, and Tim drinks from it heavily. Then Tim is handed a beer by brother Nicholas Kubera, and he shotguns it. At 10.31, so about an hour later, the pledges begin to walk up from the basement, and they all look visibly intoxicated. In the span of 82 minutes, Tim has consumed at least 18 alcoholic drinks. At the conclusion of that binge, his blood alcohol concentration was somewhere between 0.28 and 0.36. I just want to stop for a moment, like, and really let that sink in in less than an hour and a half. 18 drinks. 18. That's unbelievable. I don't even think I've ever had 18 drinks in a day, a weekend. That's just so much. And not just like 18 beers, too. Hard liquor. How do you even function at that point? I guess you don't. No, you don't. And that's what they want. At 1040, a brother named Lars Kenyon helped Tim to a couch in the Great Hall. Tim was staggering and hunched over as he walked. And three minutes later, Nicholas Kubera came over and encouraged him to stand up. Nicholas helped Tim walk through the dining room and kitchen before returning to the living room. At 1045, Tim stands up without help and staggers to the front door. He tries and fails to open it. Then he staggers towards the basement staircase, passing brothers Jerry Coyne and Luke Visser on the way. Then Tim, in his heavily intoxicated state, falls down the stairs, and he likely suffers significant head trauma, including a skull fracture. A brother hears the fall and looks down the stairs and sees Tim. 
face down at the bottom with his legs still on the steps. Brothers Ryan Burke, Luke Visser, Greg Rizzo, and Jonah Newman carried him up from the stairs at 10.47 p.m. He is limp, and there's a visible bruise on his abdomen. The boys put Tim on the couch. And little does anyone know at the time, the bruise on Tim's abdomen is actually from a spleen laceration that he has just sustained. And blood is spilling into his body at this point. Greg gives Tim a sternum rub, which is seen on campus, as a test for consciousness, but he doesn't respond. Two minutes later, Greg throws a beer in Tim's face, but he still doesn't respond. Another brother then throws shoes at him hard. Ryan then lifts Tim's arm, but it immediately falls back down. At 10.55, Jonah grabs a backpack and puts it on Tim to stop him from rolling on his back. At 11 p.m., brother Ryan Foster sits on Tim's leg so that he doesn't roll over. 12 minutes later, Jonah sits on Tim's leg to stop them from moving. At 11.14, Cordell Davis walks into the Great Hall and sees Tim lying on the couch. He leans over Tim to get a look at him and notices that he's in rough shape. He turns to the brothers and looks really animated. He points to his head and then points at Tim. Cordell testified that he was screaming and yelling at the brothers, telling them that they needed to get help and that Tim needed to go to the hospital. Jonah then shoves Cordell up against the wall and tells him things are under control. Here's Cordell talking about what happened that night. So as I walked into the room, there were people surrounding him, kind of pointing and laughing. And I was, I asked, I said, what's happening? I said, why is Tim on the couch? And they were like, oh, he's just fine. He's just had too much to drink. And I'm like, if he had too much to drink and if he's on the couch, this is kind of, this is kind of a bad situation. And they're kind of brushing it off saying, no, like, he'll be fine. He needs to sleep it off. And then they were like, oh, well, some, they're like screaming. They're like, Tim fell down the stairs too. No one thought to call 911. You didn't think to, to remove yourself from the situation and, and, and get, get your, your friend help. I did. I told, I said, he, he needs to be at the hospital right now. I said, we, we should call 911, get him in an ambulance. And I'm screaming. I'm very like, I'm, I'm being very obvious with my thoughts. And, you know, I was kind of like, shut up. I got thrown against the wall. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know what to do after that. I felt kind of useless and I felt like I had, no say in the situation after that. You didn't feel like you could you could leave and, and call somewhere else, go outside or, or do anything? You didn't think? That I was told that I was overreacting, that I was crazy. I said, I said, well, if he fell down the stairs, maybe he has a concussion, maybe worse. And we can't let him fall asleep. And they're saying, oh, that's a myth. So I'm questioning myself. I'm saying, do I really know what I'm talking about? Like, do I... Like, what do I actually know? As when they're, when everyone is telling me that I'm wrong, it just, it was just hard to like think. That's an example of the bystander effect. Yeah. Right there. Like you just heard, Cordell tried to voice his concerns to the chapter's vice president, Ed Gilmartin. And he's like, dude, we got to call an ambulance, get him to the hospital. This is very serious. And Cordell said that if Tim 
indeed had a concussion and he went to sleep, it's possible he'd fall into a coma. But Ed called him crazy and said that other brothers were biology and kinesiology majors. So Cordell's words meant, quote, nothing to him compared to theirs. And Ed also told him that the whole sleeping with a concussion thing was a myth. So then Cordell left the room feeling defeated. And at this point, Tim is thrashing and making weird movements. Here's what Cordell had to say about what he would have done differently and Tim's mother's response. I would say, don't be afraid to speak up. I mean, with like the hierarchy of a fraternity, when you have like the exec with all the power and then me only being there for a little bit of time, I didn't have, really have any power. But um, when, like, when you think something is wrong, you shouldn't be afraid to speak your mind. And unfortunately, like, I was kind of like manipulated into thinking, oh, everything's going to be fine. It's nice that he had good intentions at the time, but I don't know why anybody didn't pick up a phone. At 11.25, Pledge Master Daniel Casey walks into the Great Hall to check on Tim. He slaps Tim's face three times. Meanwhile, two brothers are wrestling in the Great Room, and they fall down hard on top of Tim. After this, Tim starts twitching and vomiting. At 11.53, Greg Rizzo sent a message to the frat's group me chat. Also, Tim Piazza might actually be a problem. He fell 15 feet down a flight of stairs, hair first, going to need help. So then about an hour passes, and it's February 3rd, and Tim is still on the couch, dying. And again, this stuff is hard to hear, so please keep that in mind. Throughout the night, Tim is in and out of consciousness, still highly intoxicated and thrashing around in pain. At 1 a.m., the brothers watch as Tim vomits and begins to twitch on the couch. Brothers Ryan Foster, Jerry Coyne, and Joseph M's backpack Tim to prevent him from rolling on his back. At 1.48 a.m., Tim rolls on the floor. Ryan Joseph and brother Matt Reinmond pick Tim up and slam him on the couch. Brother Joseph Ems appears frustrated with Tim on camera footage, so he takes a shoe and throws it at Tim, but he doesn't wake up. Then, using an open hand, Joseph hits Tim hard right on his bruise. Tim's spleen had been lacerated, but after this hit, it was shattered. Tim does not wake up. The brothers leave him lying there, unconscious, on the couch. At 3.22 a.m., Tim regains at least a little bit of consciousness. Joseph is nearby. Tim tries to stand, but he can't get his footing. He falls backward and hits his head on the hardwood floor. Joseph shakes Tim to see if he moves, and then just leaves the room. At 3.54, so about 30 minutes later, Tim tries to stand up again, but he falls face first on the floor and he lies there until 4:59 a.m. and at this time Tim is able to stand and he starts to stagger towards the lobby but a few seconds later he falls into an iron railing and onto the stone floor Tim got up again and tried to make it to the front door but again he falls this time head first into the door at 5:08 Tim rests on his knees his head is buried in his hands and then Tim rolls onto his side and holds his abdomen this is just so like, it's heartbreaking it's i mean he, he's trying to leave he's trying to go get himself help yeah, yeah. he knows just, oh my god and the oh, no one doing anything no one at yeah. any point just watching they're him. backpacking him so that he doesn't choke on his vomit they know something's wrong mm -hmm. clearly they've been told something is wrong 
they're, they're like, more concerned about the safety of their frat than the safety of their brother. You know, it's, a, it's all about the brotherhood. Being, yeah. yeah. A, it's a person like mm-hmm. right in front of you suffering and dying and like, mm-hmm. oh, but my frat, my fucking frat. Like, and this is the same thing we see with tons of these hazing stories where mm-hmm. they could have been prevented if someone did something. At 5.15 a.m., brother Jonathan Martinez comes downstairs for a drink of water, and he actually stepped over Tim. Ten minutes later, another brother, Frederick Steimling, came down for water, and he watched Tim for a moment, then tried helping him get to the Great Hall. Tim falls down three steps, and Frederick steps over Tim and leaves him lying on the floor. Eventually, Tim made it into the Great Hall. At 6.44, another pledge walked into the Great Hall and found Tim. He watched as Tim rolled off of the couch and fell to the floor. Tim is able to get to his knees and he cradles his head in his hands. At 6.57, the pledge took out his phone and recorded a Snapchat video of Tim. And then while Tim rocked back and forth on the ground, the pledge left. At 7.18 a.m., Tim stood up and staggered towards the basement steps. And for a few hours, he actually staggers around the basement, ending up behind one of the bars. Brothers Daniel Erickson and Kyle Petchy went to search for Tim around 10 a.m. and Daniel found him still behind the basement bar. He was lying on his back with his arms at his sides and his hands were clenched into fists. His face is bloody, his skin is pale and cold to the touch. His eyes are half open and his breathing is labored. Daniel, Kyle, and another brother carry Tim up the stairs to the Great Hall and put him on the couch. His body is rigid and his skin is gray. The brothers tried to shake him awake. Tim remained unconscious. They tried to unclench his fists, but they were too rigid. Then they wiped the blood from his face. He was missing the shirt and jacket he wore the night before, and brothers tried to dress him, but his arms were too stiff to put a shirt on. They covered him in a blanket to try and warm him up. But nobody called 911. The brothers then began to clean up the house. At this point, it looks like they're trying to make the house look better for when the authorities come in. One brother uses his phone to search for things like cold extremities and drunk person, and binge drinking alcohol bruising or discoloration, cold feet and cold hands. Other brothers stand around on their phones, and yet nobody calls for help until nearly an hour after Tim was found in the basement. Finally, at 10.48 a.m., brother Ryan McCann called 911, and he doesn't mention that Tim had fallen down the stairs that night. Here's that 911 call. And notice the lack of urgency and and panic in this person's voice. 911, what is the address of your emergency? Uh, 220 North Grove Street. You said 220, 220, all right, we'll get somebody over there, okay? If anything, can you just call back and let us know. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Tim was immediately rushed to Mount Nittany Medical Center. 80% of Tim's blood had leaked into his abdomen by the time he arrived to the hospital. That morning, Tim hadn't come home, so his roommate called Tim's brother, Mike. He was worried because Tim always came home. So Mike decided to call the hospital and ask if he was there. They told him that he was and Mike needed to come right away, which he did. Once Mike got to the emergency room, he saw Tim, who was covered in bruises and on life support. Evelyn, Tim's mom, was at work when she got the call from Mike. He told her that Tim was being airlifted to Hershey Medical Center, 
and that they needed to come now. The doctor told Evelyn that Tim was a very sick boy who had a subdural hematoma. After that, he was taken via helicopter to Hershey Medical Center, where he arrived at 3 p.m. Evelyn called her husband, and they immediately raced to the hospital. In the car, Evelyn told Jim that Tim's bid acceptance was the night before, and at that point, Jim knew that his son wasn't going to make it. That's because of a conversation he had had with the family's friend's son earlier that morning. The son was a student at Rutgers University, and Jim was giving him career advice. The friend mentioned to Jim that he was a fraternity member who pledged that past semester. This is what Jim said of their conversation. Quote, he said Rutgers didn't haze too much, but he had to get signatures from a sister house at Penn State. They made him drink with them. He said they haze pretty hard at Penn State. People die from hazing. While he was saying that, Tim is lying at the bottom of the steps at Penn State. That young man was sent to me that morning to tell me my son was going to die. Evelyn was trying to keep her hopes up. She knew Tim was badly hurt, but she hoped and prayed that they were injuries he could recover from. But a chaplain was sent to Jim and Evelyn immediately after they got to the hospital, and again, Jim knew. The chaplain led them to a surgeon who delivered the horrible news. Tim wasn't going to wake up. Here's a clip of Tim's mother and brother talking about seeing him in the ICU that night. He was all covered up with warming blankets. You were trying to find a spot of skin to touch. The nurse brought me forward and told me to kiss him goodbye. It was hard. And that's what you think of when you close your eyes. It looked like he got hit by a car. He was in bad shape. He was on full life support. His eyes were half open. He wasn't there. The nurse brought me in a room to see them and and they they broke it to me that he wasn't going to wake up ever. It's just so heartbreaking to hear these parents talking about this moment. I can I really can't imagine especially now being a parent myself seeing your child in that condition after all of the years and work you put into raising them and making them the best possible person that they can be and he had such a bright future ahead of him and to see all of that wasted due to the incompetence of this fraternity the selfishness the the pure evil for none of them to have done something sooner if they did they they could have possibly saved his life can't even imagine dealing with the thought of my son's death was preventable <sighs> i don't know how you recover Just... i don't know if you ever really truly can so tim was surrounded by his family and they held his hands and told him that they loved him and a tear rolled down tim's cheek so clearly he knew he was there jim his father actually asked the doctor if tim could hear him and the doctor said maybe jim took comfort in the fact that tim could have known that he was with family and that he was loved but he thinks that if tim could hear he also could hear what doctors were saying and that he knew he was about to die doctors did everything they could but they determined that tim's injuries were unsurvivable and at 1:23 a.m timothy john piazza was pronounced dead his cause of death was multiple traumatic injuries sustained by multiple falls he suffered a skull fracture ruptured spleen traumatic brain injury, collapsed lung, and a subdural hematoma. The manner of death was listed as accidental. Jim, Tim's father, asked the surgeon if Tim could have been saved had someone gotten him help earlier. The surgeon said absolutely yes. If after Tim had fallen down those stairs the first time, after the boys tested three times and found Tim was unconscious, 
and they had called for help, he would still be alive. But they didn't, and now he isn't. Tim was a member of Beta for just 28 hours before they killed him. The men who he was supposed to call his brothers left him to die. And the next day, they were more concerned about whether or not the chapter would be kicked off campus. After Tim went to the hospital on the 3rd, many beta members immediately went into cover-up mode. In one text, Chapter VP Ed Gilmartin texted Pledgemaster Daniel Casey, Make sure the pledges keep quiet about last night in this situation. Daniel replies, They know. And Ed says, Okay, good. Meanwhile, Chapter President Brendan Young texted an unnamed person. The unnamed person said, like, what did most of the damage? Brendan said, he fell down a flight of stairs because he was too drunk. The other person said, you can't blame yourself. Brendan said, how can I not? I don't think you can fully comprehend the situation. He looked fucking dead. Members of the exec board started removing Tim from group chats in an attempt to get the evidence off his phone. They deleted their own group chats, text messages, and Google searches to try and cover their tracks. Idiots. And they even tried to erase the camera footage showing the night and morning of Tim's death. Texts from hours after Tim went to the hospital show that brothers conspired to erase camera footage from the second and third. One member, Adam Mengden, wrote, Erasing the cameras could be the look as long as no one found out. Member Braxton Becker replied, I think the exact same thing. The guy told me to check them in like a few days and make sure they were recording. I could say I checked and they weren't and just turned them on. I want to talk to Brendan. Later that day, Daniel Casey asked Braxton, what times did they take the tape of? Like, is the obstacle course in it? Braxton replied, nah. They took the tapes from 7 and 9.30 a.m. Casey said, fuck yes. And Braxton said, we should be good on that front at least. These fuckers. It's ridiculous. On February 5th, after Tim's passing, many of the boys were still worried about themselves and their stupid house. Brendan Young was texting with another member who asked, between you and me, what are the chances the house gets shut down? Brendan replied, I think very high. I just hope none of us get into any lawsuits. The other member asked, you think they are going to sue us? Brendan replied, it depends if they want to go through with it or just distance themselves from us altogether. On February 6th, a fraternity brother, allegedly Braxton Becker, deleted the camera footage from the second and third. Police were originally told that the downstairs cameras hadn't been working that night, but they actually had been, of course, and Braxton allegedly deleted the footage while the police were inside the house. At that point, the brothers thought that their tracks were covered, but investigators were able to recover that footage. The security firm St. Moritz was supposed to save Tim's life, in theory, but in fact, only a few minutes before Tim fell down the stairs, two St. Moritz employees arrived at the Beta House to check the party. They walked through the house and saw numerous rule violations, and they reported none of them. The checkers left, and the fraternity brothers were allowed to keep the party going. And these checkers can't be identified because both St. Moritz and the IFC claim they have no records from that night. In response to Tim's death, the university permanently banned Beta Theta Pi from the campus. The school took control of the frats out of the hands of the IFC, run by frat brothers, and into the hands of the Office of Student Conduct. The party checks would be conducted by university employees, not St. Moritz. 
A grand jury indicted 18 beta members on over 1,000 counts, including hazing, furnishing alcohol to minors, evidence tampering, assault, and involuntary manslaughter. Eight of them were charged with felony aggravated assault and misdemeanor involuntary manslaughter charges. Here's a compilation video of some of the boys' lawyers defending them. The video I saw, fuzzy as it is, Joey may have reached down to, to arouse him, but he certainly didn't punch him. And it's but does clear, it concern you that Joey didn't call for help, didn't call well, police? he's not charged with that. It concerns me that no one called for help. Sad, tragic event. But for Joey Ems, it's, it's not a criminal it's not a criminal case. 19-year-old Luke Visser is charged with involuntary manslaughter, aggravated assault, and hazing. The charges leveled against my client, Luke Visser, are wholly and absolutely unjustified, unwarranted, and just simply without any basis. It's a tragedy, but, you know, that doesn't mean there was any intent involved in any of this. But the charges and number of defendants were whittled away. Prosecutors going to get the most serious charges of involuntary manslaughter and aggravated assault to stick, so they were dismissed. When this was announced in court, the 16 brothers backslapped and fist-bumped each other in celebration. As time went on, over a dozen brothers pled guilty to minor charges related to alcohol or hazing. Most were sentenced to probation, community service, or short periods of house arrest. Two brothers had all of their charges dropped. Chapter President Brennan Young and Pledge Master Daniel Casey are still awaiting trial. How seriously the school is taking these sanctions on Greek life remain to be seen. Penn State had banned Beta Theta Pi from campus, but only a week after the most serious charges against the brothers were dropped, Penn State Beta alumni got an email. It was an invitation for alumni brothers to stay at the house during fall football weekends. The Piazzas filed multiple civil lawsuits, including a wrongful death suit against many Beta brothers, the national organization, Penn State school administrators, and St. Moritz. In 2018, Pennsylvania passed the Timothy J. Piazza anti-hazing law. Now cases where hazing results in serious injury or death are third-degree felonies. New Jersey passed a similar law named after Tim in 2021. Today, Beta Theta Pi is still permanently banned from Penn State. The former frat house still sits vacant due to a legal dispute. The house has been occasionally used by Beta alumni to stay in for football games. It's owned by the alumni-run Beta House Corporation, but the school is trying to buy it. Tim's parents hope that the school gets control of the building. That way it can be demolished or converted into an engineering building named after Tim. Penn State had talks of getting rid of Greek life entirely, and they imposed restrictions on Greek life after Tim's death. This included banning liquor, day-long events, kegs, limiting socials, and deferring rush events to the spring semester. Many PSU Greeks were not happy. On Greek Rank, a popular Greek life message board, some talked about protesting. They were angry at the school's reaction. They knew how much Greek Penn State alumni contributed to the school financially, so they wanted them to send the school a message. But six years after Tim's death, there were reports recently that Penn State University is thinking of rolling back the rules they implemented in 2017. This will put the control of the chapters back in the hands of the IFC and out of the school's hands. These rules were implemented as part of the settlement with the Piazza family. The family always thought that these rules would be permanent, and they weren't aware that the university was in talks to roll them back. So you might be wondering the state of things at Penn State today. Here's a post from a recent former student about their experience and why they transferred. The title of this post is Penn State Could Care Less About Students. It says, I am a current student at PSUUP. And I wish I could go back three years to high school and unapply to this school. 
The first few weeks here were great. The parties, the drugs, football games, everything seemed perfect until one random Tuesday in February of my freshman year. I lived in Pullock Halls right across from the shared bathroom, and one night, my roommate and I heard screaming and crying coming from the bathroom. A girl on our floor was being assaulted, so we called the police immediately. They caught the kid who attacked her, but nothing, and I mean nothing, happened to him. Penn State swept it under the rug like they do every assault case they have, aka Sandusky, and nothing disgusted me more than my best friend getting roofied at a fraternity, getting a toxicology report, and Penn State still not caring that students are drugging one another. Coming from a university that got the state of Pennsylvania to put laws in place due to our hazing, they shouldn't take a roofie incident so light. Penn State has absolutely no regard for their students unless they are some kind of athlete. The school's main focus is not on educating their students, but making sure football pumps out enough money. The school just in general treats you as if you aren't a person, and I came from a high school that I used to being just another number, but this is on a whole nother level of no care for the students. If you're currently in high school reading this, save yourself the stress and don't come here. A Hulu series based on the Atlantic article on Tim Piazza's death and the dark history of fraternities at Penn State is actually in production. Jim and Evelyn Piazza are now anti-hazing advocates who tell Tim's story to college students across the country. They are sometimes joined by Marquise Bram's parents who are also anti-hazing advocates. They miss their boys terribly and they hope that by telling their stories they can prevent other students from becoming victims. But sadly, there are tons of people who have been negatively impacted by Greek life. Um, According to Investigate TV, within the past two decades alone, more than 60 men have died while attempting to join a fraternity. Um, They also claim that in an analysis of 342 hazing cases at 35 universities um, since 2017, only 10 of these cases ended up in a frat or sorority being expelled from campus. And in three of those cases, a pledge died. Yeah, there's there's many more stories that I would like to cover um, if you guys are interested in us jumping into some of those. I, I think these are important stories to tell. Tim had a whole life ahead of him, and he was really looking forward to it. We're going to leave you with part of Tim's letter to his future self, and this is heartbreaking. He wrote it his junior year of high school, and it was meant to be opened in five years, and he would never live to read it. Dear Tim, hopefully all is well. How is everything? Have you achieved what you wanted to? I hope we have made it. My goals are to go to a good college. Hopefully you have a good major too, maybe engineering or whatever. Also, hopefully you aren't sad or an angry person anymore. I hope our depressed feelings have been cleared up. Also, the muscle pains. Now, I want to tell you some things that I know now that I know should happen or you need to do. One, good college. Two, good major. Three, girls. Maybe you've gotten better. Four, Don't sweat the small stuff. Relax a little and enjoy life. Five, find happiness. Not everything is on a silver platter. You need to find what makes you happy. Contact your old friends. Contact family more. I don't know how long any of us will be around, but cherish everyone. Cherish everyone. Everyone is important. Everyone is worthy of being treated like they matter. It is not hard to be kind. Which... These words coming from a junior in high school to me just seems so... Yeah, it speaks volumes on yeah. who he was and his character. Yeah. Really good. Really wise. Being. Really wise. 
Mike, Tim's brother, told the New York Times that Tim really loved his flame orange hair. He fondly remembers that Tim was excited to get older and grow his version of a salt and pepper beard, which he would call a salt and paprika beard. Mike laughed at that memory, but then he stopped and said, I'm never going to see it. Oh, just heartbreaking, man. It really is. It's just so upsetting because it's so preventable. Like if they had just fucking stopped being selfish pieces of shit and Mm -hmm. called the police once he fell, Mm -hmm. he probably would be here today. Or at any time throughout when he was in the house dying. Yeah. Dying. Trying to get help. Clearly had tried to get up at one point. Yeah. What what were these fraternity brothers so scared of? It doesn't seem like they get in trouble anyway, even if they, they get caught. So it's like there was no point to not get him help, period. Nothing would have happened to him either way. Well, so. they're scared of the chance that they could be kicked off campus. That's all that they care about. Protecting themselves, protecting their brotherhood. It's you know, shrine. But not secrecy. actually protecting their brothers no, in the brotherhood. Exactly. If it means that the rest of them get in protecting trouble. Protecting the legacy oh well. of the brotherhood, the reputation. Sounds like a bunch of bullshit. It is a bunch of bullshit. It really is. And like when you think, obviously it's not an excuse, but all all of these guys are kids. They're young. They're right out of high school. They're fucking clueless. And I mean, I feel like there should be an adult at the house at all, at all of these fraternities and sororities at all times that are overseeing everything they're doing. Because it's just a bunch of kids. But it's not. They're all over 18. I know, I know. But like, think of how young and of stupid you are at that age. Like right. they're, they shouldn't be left alone to be making such vital decisions in these moments. But there who watches be, over them? And they had a live-in advisor. There's, no one's watching over but them. Yeah, someone did. A, someone lived they had in. had a live-in advisor. But where were they? Not, not there. Not doing anything. That's what so. I'm saying. They, I mean, whether they were yeah. there or not, they didn't do shit. Someone exactly. should be there to stop that shit in, in an emergency, do something immediately, be observing everything that they're doing. Well, there was cameras, too. Yeah. So what was the purpose of the cameras? The cameras for, for the damage, because the, you know, the wealthy guy that donated all the money, that's a PSU alum, was pissed that the fraternity brothers were trashing the house as if they would do anything fucking differently. Right. Yeah. But it's not, you know, to keep anyone safe. It's to... No. <laughs> Preserve the, preserve the house. Service $8 million investment. Yeah, in yeah. And I want to be really clear here. When I say they're a bunch of kids, I'm not making excuses for them. Like they're kids, so they, sh- they should have known better. They are adults technically. They absolutely should have known. I would hope so. By the time you're for graduating sure. college, you're I'm just saying a that adult. they're young enough to where I don't think they should be alone doing whatever the fuck they want. Especially when we know that these things happen all the time. There should be someone that comes by at least every hour, if not is there all the time, in my opinion. But then, like, there's annex houses, which are basically just, you know, homes that a a group of them from the frat or sorority will go and rent out and live in. Like, they, there is, you can't, like... I don't no, think it's true. It's true. I don't, I don't think, think supervising, sitting there supervising them is going to help. They're just going to figure out how to do it without you around. They're not going to be like, true. oh, well, dad is here, so we can't haze tonight. Like, they'll go yeah. haze somewhere else. It's true. It needs to be a it's serious true. crime that ends you up in that's yeah. like guarantees jail time if exactly. you do it. Like, yeah. No, I, the I, punishment's got to be heightened saying. for this to stop. The fact that it's just a slap on the wrist is what's what the actual problem is. So the and the fucking schools need to step up their game about this. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But they won't yeah. because it's it, there's money involved. Right. There's donations involved and, and donors. They really want to upset not people. just the fraternities and sororities. Like there are there are house parties oh, where yeah. you know people die all the time Absolutely. and no one does anything. It's just it's fucking horrific. It makes me scared 
for my child to go. Like I remember my parents feeling scared when I got into Greek life and went to college in general. And I never understood why, you know, you trust me, I'll be fine. And of course I was pretty responsible, but it's like, you just never know what shit you could get into. Well, my God, there's, there's literally sexual assault happening in the dorms. Like, and nothing's, nothing's happening. The stuff that happens on campus across this country and across the world is just horrific. And like we said, there are so many more stories that we would like to cover and and bring light to. So please let us know if you are interested Ugh. in us doing that. This is, I'm trying to Google. I can't find it. There is a law, though. I, it might only be in Colorado. The safe haven yes, law? thank you. Yeah. Where you report and you don't get in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I thought was going to happen to me when I... Well, I wasn't the one who actually called the police, but I stayed with that girl. I thought that the police were going to be like, you know, yeah, you've been drinking, even though I was 21. And I thought they would like appreciate that. And I thought I thought of that safe, safe haven law in that moment that I'm I'm here helping someone. And they were they literally almost took me to detox. And I was not even that drunk. I mean, it was just I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. crazy because like I had a similar situation when I was in college and we were literally carrying this girl back to her dorm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the cops were like, what's this? And, you know, they talked to her and we were drinking and. You know, I thought they couldn't tell, but I'm sure you could tell that we were also drinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not nearly the same level. We didn't know the girl, but they kind of just let us go. Mm-hmm. And you was know, this university was police or is this Boulder police? Uh, university, most likely. See, and yeah. that that I think that all campus university police should be doing way more. That mm-hmm. they're not that either they're not big enough, like numbers wise, to to police this many kids in a small area or they just aren't they just aren't doing enough to prevent this stuff from happening or patrol these areas to show presence where these fraternity houses are like they should be combing these places up and down up and down looking for for any signs of of hazing and things like that and that's the thing is it's not a serious enough crime for them to care about really at the end of the day and you know they're more worried about whatever else they're doing and so these things just go on and on and on without any yeah. sort of repercussions. But I think that's how you solve this. You make the repercussions so serious that people don't want to do it anymore because they don't want to risk. Mm-hmm. Not only will I be kicked out of my frat, I'll be kicked out of school. My whole life will be over because I'm now a felon. You know what I mean? Make make it. Uh, I'm glad that Tim's law got passed. It's mm-hmm. a third third yeah. third degree felony, but it's like it should be a, a felony across the country. I mean, and mm-hmm. I, I think you'll start seeing. You know, all it takes is for that one frat guy to to go to, pri- to go to prison and become a felon and his whole life to be over because he was hazing somebody that ended up mm-hmm. resulting in someone's death. I think you see a dramatic drop in it. I think yeah. that's the issue. And I don't see why that's not already being done. There's no reason for hazing to ever even be a thing. You period. know what's so crazy, too, is there are six states that don't have hazing laws. That's no. crazy to me. That's unbelievable. So kids are just dying and they don't care. What are those six states? Um, I believe one is Wyoming, um, Alaska, Hawaii, D.C. I don't know if that's also counted in the six or hmm. six and D.C. But um, and then there's two others. I'm not um, sure off the top of my head. Says Alaska, Hawaii, New Mexico, Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana. Wow. That's shocking. Actually, that doesn't even surprise me that those are the states that have it. Yeah, that's not shocking. Well, we definitely want to hear your thoughts on all of this and experiences that you may have experienced yourself or things that you've heard of, um, because I think people should be well aware 
of these things if they're going to even consider uh, rushing for a fraternity. Yeah, or maybe you're somebody out there who's headed to college, freshman year is coming up, and you're considering rushing. Be careful. It's good to be, you know, at least know about these things Mm -hmm. and protect yourself. And check mm-hmm. in on your loved ones too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, just yeah. working on this episode was so difficult because it's like I have a brother in college right now, my little brother, and yeah, oh, just I can't imagine anything happening to him. I, you know, so yeah, yeah. it's it's hard to think about, especially because college is supposed to be like the greatest time of your life, yeah. and you know, you're going there to. It's really the transition from childhood to adulthood mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and so it's supposed to be this memorable time where you're really growing and kind of coming into your own and it's certainly not supposed to be where you meet your early death yeah. and and you just have to be careful out there at the end of the day it's like Even nothing if- is worth your life right yeah. like nothing is worth your safety yeah. there's no club or title or mm-hmm you know, friend group that's worth risking your life for. And I mean, this also is a great example of just how dangerous alcohol is. Mm -hmm. Like alcohol is one of the most dangerous drugs on the planet. And Mm yet it's so normalized. It's It's yeah. And it's like, you don't, and at that age too, it's like, Oh my God, you know, in college, I'm I'm still in that teenager mindset where I'm invincible. And it's like, I look back now and the amount of times I could have actually died is like Mm -hmm. haunts me, you know, it's, Yeah, alcohol poisoning is real, man. And look out for the people around you, even if you don't know them. If you see someone who's struggling, like check on them. Don't leave them alone. Call Mm -hmm. the police if you need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we need better mental health resources on college campuses. Yeah, everywhere. It's it's a really bad problem. I mean, yeah, horrible. So, and if you are in a fraternity or sorority or just on a campus right now, and you know of something happening, report it. I know it can be scary, especially if you're in the fraternity or sorority to to stand up and to do that. But you could save someone's life. Yep. I mean, hopefully the school would actually do something with it. But that's the least you can do is is try. Yeah, I mean, college is temporary, man. Yeah, it's all temporary. And one day you're going to look back on it and be like, you know, it was it was an experience, but it's not the rest. You have your whole life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to life to experience and and at that time college can seem like your whole world yeah. that's all that matters is getting into this fraternity this sorority this but at the end of the day know, it doesn't matter no. it's not going to really do that much for you at the end of the day mm-hmm. it's just kind of the what's God, what's cool and popular parents, in the moment man. but Ugh. later on it's like who cares so depressing mm. but yeah let's, who knows what these who knows what tim and all these other people that have died in these right. just ridiculously stupid ways you know, that totally could have been prevented. It's it's so infuriating thinking of what impact they could have had on the world and it was all lost. For what? For what? There's got to be way, there's just got to be better ways to, like, I get you want to, like, put your members through tests and stuff, but it's like, this is, this is, like, not even the U.S. military's putting their yeah. recruits through this stuff. Like, I mean, this is just straight up torture. Yeah. It's, it's torture. Yeah, like, let's get more well, creative here. Like, there's got to be more creative things that don't, don't jeopardize someone's life. Yeah. Yeah. to to create a more engaging challenging sort of recruitment process like mm-hmm. how about mm-hmm. how about we go back to the drawing board and re revamp this thing in our sorority it was all about proving yourself with your scholastics and then we'd have like a test on like 
or facts Dumb about the facts about the sorority that like you had founders to or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah we never went through anything like this. Based, yeah, like most grades. of it was academic and yeah. philanthropy, but most of them aren't like that. Anyway, we want to hear from you guys. Um, we will be back next week, of course. But until then, keep, keep on, on taking, taking your mind a mile, mile higher. higher.